following is a teaching from Irving Bible Church. For more information on how you can join us on a Sunday or take your next step, visit irvingbible.org. Good morning. Wow. Okay. Let's go, youth. Good to see you. Welcome back from retreat. New shirts. I'm digging them. Imago Day. Let's go, baby. Let's go. Man, so good to see you. So glad you're in the room. Uh, I love the awkward clap after announcement. Just like, do we? Yeah. Yes. Okay. Good to. Hey, there it is. I won't say it again. I won't. If you have a Bible, let's turn to Revelation chapter three. We're continuing in our series, This Beautiful Mess. We'll be in Revelation chapter three, verses one through six. Revelation two and three are the letters written to the seven churches uh, in ancient Asia Minor. And we today find ourselves with the fifth church, the church at Sardis, Revelation chapter three. Our series is called This Beautiful Mess because the church of God, the church of Christ truly is beautiful to behold. She's messy. She's messy. Turn to your neighbor and say, you're a beautiful mess. You're a beautiful mess. This is who we are. We are a beautiful mess. I distinctly remember as a young child with a friend opening up a wooden box. This wooden box had a grid. Inside of the grid were rocks and minerals placed around. Anybody collect rocks and minerals as a kid? You know, Nandy mentioned stamps. I collected baseball cards. My friend collected rocks and minerals. And he's showing me these rocks and these minerals. And he takes out one and he goes, and this one, this one's gold. And I was like, no way, man, gold? And he goes, hold it. Look at it in the light. And I hold it and I'm turning around like, this is gold. And I start to get really excited. Like, man, we're rich. We got that. Oh my goodness, we got gold. And he goes, gotcha. And I was like, what do you mean, buddy? He goes, it's fool's gold. I was like, fool's gold? What's fool's gold? He's like, you're a fool for believing that it's gold. It's fool's gold. It's pyrite is what it was. It's not gold, but it looked like gold. And man, I was bamboozled. I was befuddled. I was let down. I was deflated. This happens to us, right? When we, when we see something that, that should be one thing, it appears to be one thing, but then it's another. And we're deflated. It appears to be gold, but then it's just fool's gold. And today in the letter to the church at Sardis, we see Jesus address something for this church that appears to be one thing, which happens to be another. Let's read. Revelation 3, 1 to 6 says this. To the angel of the church in Sardis write, these are the words of him who hold the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. We'll pause, pause right there. If that just blew up your Trinitarian theology, this is not seven different spirits of God. This means the sevenfold spirit of God or in Revelation, the number seven was for wholeness or completeness. Christ is saying here, I am Christ, I have the spirit. He goes on to say, I know your deeds. You have a reputation of being alive, but you are dead. Wake up, strengthen what remains and about to die, for I have found your deeds unfinished in the sight of my God. Remember, therefore, what you have received and heard. Hold it fast and repent. But if you do not wake up, I will come like a thief, and you will not know at what time I will come to you. Yet you have a few people in Sardis who have not soiled their clothes. They walk with me, dressed in white, for they are worthy. The one who is victorious will, like them, be dressed in white. I will never blot out the name of that person from the book of life, but will acknowledge that name before my father and his angels. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the spirit says to the churches. Today, we're looking at the church of Sardis and answering this question. How does a church come back to life? Or to personalize it, how do we as disciples of Christ come back to life? Would you pray with me? 
Father, now we turn our attention to your word and we thank you that it is a light and a lamp for us. It shines into the dark places of our heart and brings revelation. And so we ask that your spirit would illumine the truth to us today and that we would respond in faith. We give our attention now and this is our worship. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. How does the church come back to life? Here's the sermon in a sentence if you're taking notes. It's time to wake up and work out because the gospel's going forth and Jesus wants you to be a part of it. It's time to wake up and work out because the gospel's going forth and Jesus wants you to be a part of it. Jesus is writing a letter to the church at Sardis. And if we understand the context and the true history of Sardis, it'll help us know some of the things that Jesus is saying here. The ancient city of Sardis, according to the Greek historian Herodotus, was started uh, in around 1220 BC, founded by the sons of Hercules, the Heraclides. It became the capital of Lydia and reached its pinnacle of influence in the sixth century. Sardis was located near mountains, Mount Tamales, and it had a river that ran through it, the Pactolus River. This Pactolus River was uh, infused with gold. And as myth has it, King Midas, that's the Midas touch, uh, from the Greek god uh, Dionysus was given the gift to everything that he touched would turn to gold. But in this river, King Midas washed his hands of that blessing and therefore let the gold into the river. So Sardis, surrounded by these mountain uh, faces on three different sides, was secure, sheer cliffs on three sides of this Acropolis, except for one side, the southern side. It had a weak point. And then Sardis had this river that went through it laced with gold. Sardis became known uh, for being rich and for being safe, for being strong. In fact, there were words that were used for this ancient place that, that, that spoke to its reputation as a city of being rich and of being strong. One ancient historian says this, it was the strongest place in the world. And you might've heard this phrase, because it was rich, its king was the richest king in the world. And the phrase goes like this, rich is Croesus. Anybody heard that? Rich, oh, not, you didn't either? Oh yeah, I didn't. Rich is Croesus. Today it'd be like rich is Bezos. Rich is Croesus. Richest guy in the world, safest place in the world. This was Sardis. They were rich, they were secure. In fact, there was one more thing that Sardis was known for, this proverbial phrase to capture the Acropolis of Sardis. It was like to capture the Acropolis of Sardis, that's to do the impossible. There's no way. There's cliffs all around. It's rich. It was the first city to mint coins. It was the first city to create dye for clothing. Sardis was into fashion and money. That sound like Dallas Fort Worth to you at all? Rich and safe. And so Jesus speaks into the church at Sardis. This church that located in a place that's rich and it's safe. Rich and secure. And he says this in Revelation 3, 1 and 2. These are the words of him who holds the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. I know your deeds. We're off to a good start. He sees us. He knows us. He knows what we're up to. You have a reputation of being alive. Jesus notes one thing that's almost good about this church. They have a reputation of being alive. And reputations aren't a bad thing. In fact, the, the ancient Hebrew wisdom says in Proverbs that, that reputation is more valuable than gold. A good name is to be chosen rather than gold. It says in the New Testament to pick elders, pastors, and deacons based off of their reputation within the community. Reputation is a meaningful thing. But Jesus says, you have a reputation of being alive, but you are, what? Dead. You seem to be one thing, but you're the other. Then he notes why they're dead. He says, for I have found your deeds unfinished in the sight of my God. Spiritual optics looked good for Sardis. Did a good PR team, great website, social media management was on point. They looked good. 
There seemed to be life, but there wasn't. Jesus says, it looks good, Sardis, but it ain't. Sardis, man, I'm looking right at it. It looks real. I'm holding up to the light. It looks real, but it ain't. It looks real good, Sardis, but it ain't. Because there's a gap between the reputation and the reality. Fool's gold. Jesus said this to the Pharisees in Matthew 23, 27, and 28. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You're like whitewashed tombs, which look beautiful on the outside, but on the inside are full of bones of the dead, everything unclean. In the same way, on the outside, you appear to people as righteous, but on the inside, you're full of hypocrisy and wickedness. How do individuals and institutions develop reputation? We all have a reputation. How do we develop it? How does a place like IBC come to have a reputation? It's really a couple ways. One's concrete and one's abstract. Reputations develop over time by what we consistently say and do. Integrity means that what we say and do matches. But reputation means that we are known for saying and doing something over time. It's concrete. What you've done, I can, I can note it, I can see it. It's been consistent in your life. Reputation for what you've done. But then there's the abstract reputation, which is what you appear to continue to be doing. More abstract. This is where we live, right? This is what it means to be a human in 2022 is to appear to be doing all right. This is how I wanna be seen on social media. This is how I want people to know what's going on in my life. It's, it's fool's gold. Concrete, known for what we've done. Abstract, known for what we seem to be doing we appear to be. This is how you develop reputation. Sardis at one point had a reputation of being alive. Jesus can note there were times in your life where you were doing stuff that mattered, where you were living out the gospel in real time. He goes, but, I, but I've noticed your deeds, they're unfinished. They're incomplete. I remember I hired a long crew a couple summers ago and I was really excited about this long crew. There's a couple guys, they're cheapest ones that I could find. And I take great pride in doing yard work. I love working with my hands. In fact, I did landscaping in Denver, Colorado before I became a, a pastor at a church. And I just love working in the yard. But I hired this crew and uh, I hear the lawn, you know, being mowed. I can hear it outside in the backyard like, man, this is great. And all of a sudden it stops. This is fishy. Open the back door, they're not there. In my lawn is a stripe. First, lawn, uh, first line that they mowed was like an inch lower than it should have been. Now it's just, oh my goodness. And then I look around and they had left all these places unedged, unweeded. They left the job incomplete. I just remember feeling angry. Like I hired you to do this and you didn't even finish the job. You just left halfway through. You seem to be alive, Sardis, but you're dead. I find your deeds unfinished. You might be thinking, wait, 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 pastor. Aren't we saved by grace through faith? I'm saved by grace through faith. Jesus doesn't judge me according to my deeds, my works. I'm not saved by works. I'm saved by faith. This is true. We're saved by grace through faith unto good works. In fact, the letter we looked at last week, Jesus notes the deeds at this church. And so we're just gonna take in context. If Jesus says, I see your deeds and they're incomplete. Last week, he said, I see your deeds. And here's what the works were, the deeds, love and faith. Service and perseverance. 
If we just take those four things, Jesus could be saying to Sardis, your love's incomplete, your faith is incomplete, your service is incomplete, your perseverance is incomplete because you are living off the reputation of what you used to do and you're dead. Bruce Springsteen wrote a song called Glory Days. He says this, glory days, well, they'll pass you by, glory days in the wink of a young girl's eye, glory days, glory days. Some of you might be bobbing to that song right now. A church with good theology and glory days is not immune to spiritual decay. A church like IBC that's been around for a while, we have great theology. We've had some glory days. And we're not immune to spiritual decay. Jesus speaks into Sardis. I know your deeds, they're incomplete. You seem alive, but you are dead. Here's what James, the brother of Jesus, says about faith and works in James chapter 2, 14 and 19. He says, what good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but no deeds? Can such a faith save them? Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to them, ah, go in peace, keep warm and well-fed, but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if not accompanied by action, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith, I've got deeds. James says, show me your faith without your deeds and I will show you my faith by my deeds. You believe that there is one God, that's good. Even the demons believe that and shudder. Faith and works. We are saved by grace through faith to bear fruit to the glory of God and the good of others. And Jesus calls Sardis out and says, you seem alive, but you are dead. Why? Because your works are unfinished. They're incomplete. You quit the job. You're living off of the reputation of good theology and glory days. You're not living into what I'm doing now, new through my spirit in you. A church with good theology and glory days is not immune to spiritual decay. John Stott says this, there's this result that happened between, from the great scandal of Christendom and it's called nominal Christianity. In countries to which Christian civilization has spread, large numbers of people have covered themselves with a decent but thin veneer of Christianity. They've allowed themselves to become what, uh, someone involved, enough to be respectable, but not enough to be uncomfortable. Their religion is a great soft cushion. It protects them from the hard unpleasantness of life while changing its place and shape to suit their convenience. No wonder the cynics speak of hypocrites in the church and dismiss religion as escapism. Thanks, John Stott. Man. Let's just think about church in America right now, Western Protestant evangelicalism. How many people cynically looking from the outside in just say, given up, I've deconstructed, I've left it. Why? Because it was seeming to be alive, but it was dead. This religious escapism, really, there's no love and faith, service and perseverance. Why is Jesus saying this? Why would he care? Why is he calling this out? Let's go back in the story a little bit to the Hebrew Bible where the prophet Samuel is being uh, given the task to, the, to go and choose the new king of Israel. If you know the, the story of the Bible at all, this king will become King David. And in this moment, Samuel goes to uh, choose this king from among the brothers and the dad brings the brothers and, and uh, the, the first one is big and strong and tall. Outward appearance looks great, gonna be the leader, gonna be the king. And God says, nope. Second one, got the brains, man, he's smart, gonna be the leader. Nope. 
And here's what scripture says. First Samuel 16, seven, but the Lord said to Samuel, do not consider his appearance of his height for I have rejected him. The Lord does not look at the things people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord, the Lord, the Lord looks at the heart. If we were to do a little spiritual 360 of our own heart personally, if we were to do a little spiritual 360 of the heart of IBC, what would God see? Church, it has a reputation or the reality. I wanna be personally a disciple of Jesus Christ who has both the reputation and the reality. And I want this church to be that too, walking in the life and the love and the power of the gospel and the spirit. But there's a responsibility that we have in our formation. And sometimes we negate this in our faith journey. Jesus says to this church in Sardis in Revelation 2, he says this, wake up, Sardis. Strengthen what remains and is about to die for I have found your deeds unfinished in the sight of my God. Remember therefore what you have received and heard. Hold it fast and repent. Wake up, strengthen what remains. You got sleepy and you started to atrophy. Wake up, Sardis, strengthen what remains. There's a little bit left here and I can still do some good with it, but part of this is up to you. Sometimes we say we're saved by grace through faith and we think that we're just gonna grow through spiritual osmosis. Man, if I'm just like around the things of God and like doing sort of the things of God, like at church a couple times a month, I'll be growing in my faith into true gospel-centered maturity. We don't grow through spiritual osmosis. We grow through spirit-empowered effort. Wake up and strengthen what remains. Remember what you have received and heard. Here's how Paul put it to the church in Philippians. He said, therefore, my dear friends, you've always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence. Continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. Paul writes to a young pastor and young church through 1 Timothy, and he says this, have nothing to do with godless myths, old wives' tales. Rather, train yourself to be godly. For physical training has some value, but godliness has value for all things, holding promise for both the present life and the life to come. This is the trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. That is why we labor and strive because we have put our hope in the living God who is the savior of all people, especially of those who believe. Wake up and strengthen. Wake up and work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Why? Because it is God who is at work within you to will and to act for his good pleasure. So who's working? You or God? Yes, strengthen what remains. The stuff I can do here, but I need you to wake up and show up and work out. My Camp Gladiator people in the room, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Jeremiah Beatron, Pastor Jeremiah, man, come on. Camp Gladiator's like 5 a.m. at a park working out. It's like, what are you guys doing? But you know what it takes. You show up. You're with your crew, you're in community and you're, you're working out early in the morning because you're getting stronger and you're gaining confidence and you're growing in your physical capacity. Camp Gladiator crew gets it. I, I don't know if I'd ever join, but man, they get it. Because there is no formation into Christ's likeness without the repetition of what it takes to grow into Christ's likeness. And so my question for you is, how is your time in the word? Are you reading the scriptures? 
Because the scriptures tell us the story of God. They shape our heart to desire the things of God. It's alive and active, scripture says in Hebrews 4. How's your time in prayer? Is it sincere? Are you pouring your heart out before the Lord like it says in Psalm 62, 8? To pour your heart out before him, you people. Trust in him. My counselor this week asked me a question. She goes, are you sincerely praying about that, Jared? I said, no. She said, why? Why? How do you expect God to move if you're not praying? You have not because you, you ask not. I said, I guess I don't expect him to move. She goes, well, you should because your heavenly father loves to bless you with the exact thing that you need in your life. You have not because you ask not. He wants you to trust him with your heart to go and ask him and pray and seek him. How's your time in the word? How's your time in prayer? Are you showing up to formation group? Are you part of a formation group? Are you part of Christ-centered community that is helping you grow? Are you serving others in self-giving love? Are you staying just one step ahead of yourself, the flesh, and saying, nope, putting you behind me, I'm living into the, the Christ call on my life to serve others? You have the reputation, but you're dead. Remember, therefore, Jesus says, what you have received and heard. Hold it fast and repent. This is my favorite part in this section of scripture today. Remember what you have received and heard. A church in order for it to come back to life has to recognize that good theology and glory days doesn't make it immune to spiritual decay. A church does not come back to life through spiritual osmosis, but through spirit-empowered effort, participating with God in our formation. But a church only comes back to life to the, the degree that it gets back to the basics. Here's what Jesus says. Remember what you have received and what you have heard. Paul puts it this way in 1 Corinthians 15. For what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ died in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. This is what Paul heard. This is what Paul received. This is what Paul passed on as an apostle of the early church. He says, as of first importance, Christ died for your sin. You were forgiven as of first importance. Christ broke the power of sin and death over our life. He went to the grave to conquer the grave. As of first importance, Christ raised back to life so that you and I and his church could live new life in him. As of first importance, Paul says, Christ died, buried, raised. Jesus says, remember what you've received and heard. What you've received he says in John 20, 21 and 22, in his time on earth, speaking to his disciples, peace be with you, Jesus said, as the Father has sent me, so I'm sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. Paul says, Christ died, buried, raised. Jesus said, I'm sending you the Holy Spirit. Receive the Holy Spirit. Receive and heard, remember. Word and spirit, word and spirit. How do we grow? By the word and through the spirit. Remember, Jesus said, a church does not come back to life through osmosis, but through effort 
and it only comes back to life to the degree it gets back to the basics. We start at the gospel, we stay in the gospel, we remain in Christ and we will bear much fruit. We truly will have our reputation that matches our reality. Vince Lombardi in 1961 at the start of the Green Bay Packers training camp uh, was known for this famous moment where he holds up a football and he says to the team, this is where we start, boys, this is a football. Every year he would do that to bring the team back to the basics. This is a football. Before we get into the playbook, before we practice, this is a football. Jesus says, remember what you've received and heard. This is the gospel. I've died for you. I've set you free. I've made you alive. I've given you my spirit. Remember, hold it fast and repent. Warren Worsby in his uh, great commentary says this, all the church's man-made programs can never bring life. Any more than a circus can resurrect a corpse. The church was born when the spirit of God descended on the day of Pentecost and it comes, its life comes from the spirit. When the spirit is grieved, the church begins to lose life and power. But when sin is confessed and church members get right with God and right with each other, then the spirit infuses new life. Revival. Word and spirit. Jesus moves on in this passage and he says, there's a few left. There's a few left who are faithful. Revelation three, four to six. But if you do not wake up, I will come like a thief. You will not know at what time I'll come to you. Yet you have a few people in Sardis who've not soiled their clothes. They will walk with me dressed in white for they're worthy. The one who is victorious will like them be dressed in white. I'll never blot out the name of that person from the book of life, but will acknowledge that name before my father and his angels. Whoever has ears to hear, let them hear what the spirit says to the churches. The ancient city of Sardis was known for being rich and safe. Strongest place in the world, rich as Croesus. But Croesus got a little bit prideful. And in 546 BC, he picks a fight with Cyrus, the king of Persia. And it started to turn to winter, too cold to fight. So Croesus retreats to the Acropolis of Sardis to be safe at Sardis. But Cyrus, enraged, pursues him and goes to besiege the city. He tries for 14 days to, to attack and besiege Sardis and is failing and failing and failing because of the sheer cliff faces. Couldn't get in. And one night, as history is told, there's a Persian soldier looking up at the wall, probably frustrated they can't, they can't attack this city. And he sees a guard walking on the top of the wall, accidentally drop his helmet. And he goes, ding, 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 down the side of the southern, southern cliff. And you think the story ends there, like, oh man, guy lost his helmet. He'll just go to get a new one. But it doesn't. The Persian soldier maintains his attentiveness and sees this Guard, hop the wall and navigate down an unseen but real path. He gets his helmet and he goes back up into the city, climbs the wall, back on duty. And the Persian soldier says, there it is. That's how we're getting in. He goes and tells Cyrus. Cyrus gets the boys. They climb up the wall. They attack the city. And in 546 BC, Sardis, the Acropolis, was besieged. And you think that Sardis would have learned their lesson 
But it happens just a couple hundred years later. It happens again in 1214 BC. Antiochus the Great does the exact same thing. Climbs up the southern wall and attacks and besieges Sardis like a thief in the night. And Jesus says, if you don't wake up, my judgment will come to you like a thief in the night. You will not see it coming, Sardis. This was a judgment for that particular church in that particular time, but it rings true for us today that a church is not immune to spiritual decay. If it gets away from the basics of word and spirit, we can wither like a branch, be cut off, taken away. Churches die all the time, but they don't if they stay remaining in Christ and living by the spirit. They just don't. He says, yet you have a few I have a few people and I know them. I see them, the faithful minority. I know who they are. And some of you in this room, you've been going through suffering. You've been persevering. You've been showing up for Bible study. You've been crying out to God in prayer. You've been serving the least of these. You've been living it out in real time. And God says, I see you and I know you. The faithful minority, there's yet a few who their love and faith, service and perseverance has stayed true. Their reputation and their reality have aligned. They're remaining in the word and the spirit. And he brings honor to them. They'll be with me. They'll walk with me. They're made righteous. They are and will forever be with me. Some of us, we think our works will help earn God's love and favor. It's not about works. We're saved by grace through faith that we might bear fruit to the glory of God. Jesus says this in Matthew 7, 21 and 23, not everyone who says, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and, and drive out demons in your name and perform miracles in your name? Jesus, we got good theology and glory days. Didn't we used to do the good stuff, Jesus? Didn't you see that stuff, Jesus? Isn't that enough, Jesus, what I used to do, how I used to live? I'm saved by grace. We'll let the young ones lead the way. They could do the whole go and make disciples bit. Jesus says to them, I never knew you. I just never knew you. I never had your heart. You did all the stuff with none of the substance. I never had your heart. God doesn't look at the outward appearance, looks at the heart. A church can come back to life, it can, because the Lord is faithful to work in and through the faithful minority, the ones that are staying true to the word and the spirit. How does the church come back to life? Not through spiritual osmosis, but by spirit-empowered effort. Church comes back to the life to the degree it gets back to the basics. Church comes back to life because the Lord is faithful. The Lord is faithful. And from this passage, we see, and we'll close here, there's really a few people in the church. There's those with the reputation, but are dead. Got the reputation of being alive. You're, you're living off the reputation of what you've done, the glory days. Maybe today you're, you're looking internally and you're saying, yeah, I've been dead in my faith for a while. And then this passage notes that there's people who have never tasted the reality of Jesus' salvation in life. Those who have the reputation 
and not the reality. And those who've just never had the reality, you've never trusted and followed the one who said, I love you, I forgive you, I'm for you, and I have more for your life, meaning and purpose, hope and redemption, my spirit of life on the inside. And then there's some who are faithful. And to all of us, Jesus' words say, repent. Stay steady, stay strong, repent, turn to me, turn away from that. In fact, I wanna roll back to an old prophet in the Hebrew Bible, his name's Isaiah, and God speaks through Isaiah and he says this, this is what the sovereign Lord, the Holy One of Israel says, in repentance and rest is your salvation, in quietness and trust is your strength. It is never about our works. Works do not save. Works do not earn favor with God. He loves us and he has saved us by his grace through the cross. By faith, we respond. By faith, we work out our salvation. Powered by the spirit, motivated by grace, we love because he first loved us. In repentance, quietness, and trust is your strength. You wanna wake up and strengthen yourself? Let's trust God. Let's get back to the basics. Jesus invites you today to him. I just wanna take a moment to pray and then we'll receive communion together. Some of you in this room, you've been under the weight of religious reputation and you've been dead on the inside. And Jesus says, wake up, strengthen what remains. I have more for you. Some of you have never trusted Jesus and I I wanna pray for you today that you would trust Jesus. Some of you have been faithful and I wanna encourage you today, stay faithful. Can we pray? Lord, we thank you for your word and your Holy Spirit. I pray for my brothers and sisters in Christ today who have had the reputation potentially of being alive, but on the reality is they've been dying. That you'd bring them back to life. That you would awaken them to your love, to your truth, to your power and presence in their life. I pray for my my friends today, God, who have never yet trusted you, that they would trust you and that you would give them the life you've promised them, a life of love and joy and peace and righteousness in the Holy Spirit. I pray, God, for the faithful minority, those who have stayed true, those who are faithful to stay in the word and the spirit to persevere in acts of love and of faith, of service and perseverance, that you would bless them, that you would encourage them the day that you see them, you know them, encourage them to keep going, to press in and press on. We thank you, God, for your work, through your word and your spirit. It's in your name we pray, amen. Thank you for listening to this teaching from Irving Bible Church. For more information on how to join us on a Sunday or take your next step, visit irvingbible.org.